Where are you? This question resounds in the first chapters of Genesis right after the fall. God cries out to Adam and Eve saying, where are you? Not, of course, because he doesn't know where they are, but rather to provoke in them that question. Where are we? Have we gone away from the source of living water? Over the past three weeks, we've been traveling with the Lord in this Lenten season. And we should take stock of where we are, where our hearts are. Where were we with Jesus two weeks ago in the gospel as we began Lent? We were in the desert, in the lowest part of the world. The humanity of Christ was on full display as he taught us to do battle against temptation. And last week, where were we? We were on a mountain where we heard of the heights of the glory to which we're called as we became witnesses once again of the transfiguration. And we remember that he promises us glory. And each week we're reminded of that promise as we receive the glorified body of the Lord in the Eucharist. Yet between now and the glory of the transfiguration, the glory between now and the glory of heaven, we often experience a disconcerting feeling, a continual longing, an ache in our hearts. What I mean is this, we have desires and they seem never to be completely fulfilled. Nothing on earth seems able to fulfill our desire. Even as we know we're called to glory, we experience an ache. Now this is, of course, very obvious with little children, the idea of desire. Their desire for food, for drink, for toys, for comfort is on full display at almost every moment. It's satisfied for one moment, and anyone who's a parent knows that in one other moment, it comes back. There's no complete satisfaction. But we adults, we experience this too, don't we? Let me give you an example from my own life. A few years ago, I came home from seminary. It was Easter Sunday. Uh, we had just had an amazing dinner, maybe some ham, some craisin sauce, scalloped potatoes, all those good things. And after Easter dinner, we went outside to play the magnificent game known as wiffle ball. And my brothers and I took turns batting and fielding the ball. And my dad, uh, who I don't know how, but he developed the best curve ball in wiffle ball. He can make that ball just drop down. Was pitching, and it was a glorious spring day. And it was almost pure joy. But there it is, isn't it? Almost. In plain speech. Because even as I experienced that joy, I knew that a few hours later I'd have to get in a car and drive back to the seminary. I knew that there would be an end to that moment. There was not a complete fulfillment. Fulfillment. 
In the words of C.S. Lewis, tomorrow, friends, even as we stand in the glory of this celebration of the Eucharist, tomorrow is a Monday morning. And we have to be about the business of life. And we'll be left longing for more. Always ever more. It's a fact of life that at every joy on earth, in every joy on earth, there's a twinge of sadness because we know that joy will eventually evaporate. So today, where are we? We're near a well in Samaria, in a dry, weary land, longing for water and seeking satisfaction, seeking a source of joy that will not evaporate. How often through the course of life as we travel through this weary land, though perhaps we know we're made for heaven, we find ourselves coming to the well of worldly pleasures as this woman does. Tired and in the midday of our life at the noontime hour when the heat is beating down upon us, when all other people are gone, we're tempted to fill the water jar of our desires with the pleasure of this world, to try and slake our thirst with the water we know will leave us thirsty again rather than turning to the Lord who is the source of living water. Longing for immediate satisfaction or relief, we compromise on our journey to true joy. We begin to make and worship idols, to take a creature and treat it as the creator. St. Augustine describes this experience, his experience of this compromise like this. I threw myself, deformed as I was, upon these well-formed things which you made. He's talking to God. You were with me, yet I was not with you. These things held me far from you, things which would not have existed had they not been in you. Why are those idols so attractive to us, brothers and sisters? Perhaps because we believe lies about who God is or who we are. Believing the ancient lie that God is not trustworthy, that he will not be enough, or that he does not wish us to be happy, we turn to things as the source of our satisfaction for this desire, rather than letting the desire orient us to heaven, which is its true purpose. If we forget God, if we don't believe that he will indeed fulfill our desires, or if we don't believe that he is our Father, we let our hearts be drawn down, forgetting the glory to which we're called. We don't believe that whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. We become consumed by lust, greed, gluttony, sloth, wrath, vainglory, or envy. And thank God that those idols do not satisfy. Thank God that we are left wanting more. Our longing for more, our thirst for more is a good thing. Though it's painful at times, that longing is like a compass. It points us somewhere. The ache in all our hearts makes us unsatisfied with every earthly good. We thirst for more. And our longing will not be satisfied by anything other than him. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. He has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. 
Our hope is then that even as we debase ourselves by settling for stale water through sin, still he thirsts for us to know and love him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him might have life. And this hope is sure for Christ, while we were still helpless, died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Today, he comes and encounters the woman. He makes the first move. He does not wait for her to speak. He's there before her at the well, waiting for her to meet her in that moment of ache, in that moment of desire. He speaks first. He thirsts for her soul much more than she thirsts for water that will not satisfy And see how step by step he untwists her desire. Step by step he helps her to recognize that what she desires is him. He alone is the justice that she longs for. He alone will satisfy her heart. He gives her the living water of the Spirit to satisfy her thirst. Friends, no matter how we have come to believe that the wells of worldly pleasure will satisfy our deep longings for happiness, or what wells we're drinking from, we will find that Christ is already there, thirsting for us far more than we have longed for him. God proves his love for us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He meets us at that desire. Our Lord cries out, I thirst from the cross. He thirsts for you and me. He wants our hearts. He calls and cries out. He bursts in upon our deafness. He shines and glows and drives away our blindness. He touches us and we are inflamed with desire for his peace. He desires to greet us and show us how he alone can fulfill the longing of our hearts. Will we let him? He thirsts only to provoke our thirst for him in whom we find our happiness. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.